stage. Hey, Michael, you want to make your way up here? Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. If you want to stand with us, we're going to read God's word together. Our reading comes from Psalm 104, verse um, 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. May my meditation be pleasing to to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Let's all sing together. Yeah. 
Good morning, everybody with us in person, everybody online. Thank you for worshiping with us. As we continue in worship, we've been walking through the the New City Catechism each week, looking at a different question, helping us learn uh, and think through the theology, the doctrine, and God himself revealing himself to us. For the first 20 weeks, we've been looking at uh, questions that revolve around God and creation and the fall and, um, and the law. And so now, starting with week 21, uh, we enter into a new section looking at Christ and redemption and grace. So for the last two or three weeks, the questions have revolved around this idea of a redeemer, that sin has entered the world and we are in need of a redeemer, someone who can free us from the slavery towards sin. And so question 21 says, what sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? The answer, one who is truly human and also truly God. We find a passage in Isaiah Verse 6, the prophet Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? One who is truly human and also truly God. All right, let's try that together. I'm going to read the question, and then we are all, everybody in person and online, going to respond together. So what sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? One who is truly human and also truly God. Amen. Let's continue to sing. So this next song is a new song, um, but it's a great song. It's about God's graciousness to us in our salvation, his graciousness to us in our life. Um, and so let's all stand together. If you feel comfortable, go ahead and sing. We're going to have a second chance at the end of the service if you just want to listen.
Good morning once again. Thank you all for joining us in person. Thank you all for tuning in online and joining us there as well. If you're a guest with us in either form, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here at CF, and it is a great joy, honor, and blessing to worship along with you today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning, Luke 11. Um, And as you're turning there, I'd like to thank our community group leaders. Our community groups are wrapping up here in this next week. They have been running throughout the year. We usually take a break for the summer to give everybody kind of a a rest, a little change of scenery. Uh, And our community group leaders, as everybody here knows, uh, have gone through a lot, as we've all gone through a lot this year with a lot of ups and downs and the need to be flexible and moving from in-person to online to in-person and back and forth. And throughout all of it, our leaders have been faithful, have been diligent, have been uh, just regularly just invested and cared for us so much. So thank you to all of our community group leaders um, who have served in a number of, uh, served throughout this year. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, you were, uh, I, I said this at the members meeting uh, last week, that I think without our community group leaders and our community groups, we would have been uh, very lost throughout this last year. And so thank you again to everybody uh, who has led and for everybody who attended those groups. Uh, I know a lot of growth and good relationships were built in them. A um, couple of announcements as we get going. As I said, our community groups are going to be wrapping up. Uh, on your seats, if you're with us in person, you have a Connect card. Um, it's either on your seat or it's tucked into the Bible that's on your seat. You can fill those out. Those are a good way to make sure contact info is up to date. If you have, uh, would like to get involved in serving as we are getting going and getting into the summer, we're going to need lots of hands. Lots of hands make light work. And so if you are interested in serving and being part, uh, being more invested in this community, we'd love to have you connect with us in a, a different serving opportunity. You can use the Connect cards to do that. You can also leave prayer requests, questions, comments. If you need to talk to a member or talk to a leader, uh, you're welcome to use that as well, and we will follow up with you. If you're online, you can do the same thing uh, on our website, churchinroscovillage.org slash connect, and there's a link there uh, on that page to be able to get you to a spot where you can fill out kind of an online Connect card. Um, so, as I said, our community groups are wrapping up this, uh, this week, and so uh, as we head into the summer, uh, we are going to have a couple of different activities, a couple of different things going on throughout the summer. We like to do hashtag CF Summer of Fun, where we spend some time in the summer just enjoying each other's company and, and doing some fun things. But along with that, um, we still want to be investing in growing one another, building one another up as we uh, grow in becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. And one of the ways we do that in the summertime is something we did a few years back. We're going to bring it back uh, this year, and that is our Hear, Think, Do groups. So if you're in person, you should have one of these packets on your seat. Um, If not, there's a couple empty seats. You can grab one after the service. 
if you are online, this will be emailed out to us, to our email list today, uh, as well as it will be on our website as well. And so um, here Think Do Groups, really what they are is um, they are groups where we have time to engage in, uh, the fancy word is Lectio Divina, which is Latin for divine reading. It's a devotional reading of scripture that has lasted for thousands of years. And really what it is, is a way of hearing scripture read and then thinking through it, dwelling on it, sitting in it. So we like to be able to, we've done things uh, as a church where we focus on the study, the, uh, the ability to look at the text and really pick apart what, what is the what is the author saying? Where is this, who is this being written to? And look at the kind of some of the more academic ways of studying scripture to grow in our knowledge of God. And that's great, and we always want to be growing in that. But we also uh, need to realize that this book, the Bible, is God's word. It is a supernatural revelation of God. And so sometimes what we need to do is just sit and be quiet and let God do what he's going to do with his word. And Lectio Divina um, helps us do that. It's a way of prayerfully reading and slowing us down so that we can listen to each word that God has intentionally chosen for the Bible. And so these groups are going to be made up of uh, three to four people. We're going to do this gender specific, so guys with guys, girls with girls. That gives us, A, uh, the smaller groups give us a chance to everybody to share. There's no hiding. As well as uh, when we do gender specific, there's some things that guys struggle with or guys want to talk about that maybe don't feel great talking about in mixed company, and vice versa for the ladies. Um, and so we give this a chance to just kind of let the guys uh, share things with the guys, girls, ladies share things with the ladies. Um, and so there is in each packet the information, the instruction, uh, the background, all of everything you need to run a group to make a group happen is in this packet. Uh, and there's four groups, four meetings worth. So throughout the summer, you're going to meet with your group four times. You say, where do I get a group? We're all adults. You get a group with people. You go ask someone else and say, hey, you want to do this group with me this summer? Cool, let's find one more person. Now we got a group. And you can set the schedule. You can set the days, the times, all of that stuff. If you get through four meetings, you're like, this is awesome. This is the greatest thing I've ever done. I want to keep doing it. Cool, keep doing it. You can do it with any passage of scripture. We gave you four passages of scripture that are helpful in this endeavor, but you can keep doing it uh, beyond that. And so if you need help, if you're struggling to find people to match up with, to be able to get into a group, let us know. Again, good way to use a connect card or just let the leadership of the church know and we will find a way to get you uh, plugged in to make sure that we have everyone that wants to be in a group can be in a group. If you have any other questions about that, let me know. Um, like I said, it's going to be on our website, and I'll also uh, kind of put an instructional video on the website as well just to kind of give you a walkthrough of what these groups look like. But really, it's a combination of you get together with people, you read the text out loud, and then you just quietly, and there's a lot of silence involved, uh, and then you think about what is God really saying here? And what's he saying to me, and how do I respond to it? So uh, I'm excited. These groups are, this is a good way to uh, engage with Scripture and, and use maybe a different part of your brain than you're used to. So uh, again, here Think Do Groups. Um, and everybody online, we will get those to you soon. So um, that is it for, uh, the only other announcement is that we did have our members meeting last week, and uh, at that time we did unanimously vote in Daniel Rico, David Rico, and Wayne Jacalone to serve as elders for CF for the upcoming year, and so those men um, are awesome and wonderful, and I love them deeply, and I'm so appreciative of them, uh, and they will faithfully serve uh, our church and lead our church for the upcoming year. So I'm very thankful and excited that we have that. Um, okay. 
I think that's it for announcements. Let's jump into Luke 11. Today, we are wrapping up our series in the Lord's Prayer, and we are looking at uh, the theme of today, the topic of today is temptation, also known as the devil made me do it. It's the desire to do something especially wrong or unwise. Another definition of it is the act of tempting or the state of being tempted, especially towards something evil. Temptation has a very negative connotation to it. Oscar Wilde once said, I can resist anything except temptation. Mark Twain said, there is a charm about the forbidden that makes it unspeakably desirable. Rosanna White said, just because a feeling is natural doesn't mean it should be indulged. And C.S. Lewis, in his, uh, his book, Screwtape Letters, as you're reading a book, if you ever read Screwtape Letters, it's a book where uh, it is an older demon writing to a younger protege demon on ways to corrupt and uh, lead humans astray. It's a fascinating read if you ever want something good for this summer uh, to think about things from the different angle. But in Screwtape Letters, it says, whatever the bodies do affects their souls. It's funny how mortals always picture us demons as putting things into their minds. It's really our best work is done by keeping things out and allowing them to be tempted by the world. We think of temptation as this outside force, either pushing or pulling us towards something. And because of that, it's on us to develop willpower, strength, resistance, self-reliance. What if there's another way to go about this? And what if temptation isn't actually all bad? That's some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into Luke chapter 11. So please buy your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity, for this chance for us to gather together, to worship you, to celebrate you, to gather in person and online in this community that you have given us. God, we thank you that you have made it so that we can do this life with others, that we are made to do this life with others. You have called us and made us to be part of communities. Lord, help us as we walk through this life and the various trials and temptations and tasks and work that needs to be done. Help us to lean on one another, to strengthen one another, to build one another up as we do that. God, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to eliminate distractions, eliminate our minds from wandering, and let us just be present with you and hear what you have to say for us, because it is no accident that we are in this passage this morning. You have set everything in motion, and you are in control of all things, and so Lord, you, we know you have something to say to us today. We pray that your word would do in us what it is meant to do, to challenge, to equip, to rebuke, to encourage, to inspire, to reveal yourself to us. Lord, help us to be, re- be receptive to what it is you have for us today so that we might walk in the ways that you have called us to walk. Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of this because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke 11. We've heard this read once or twice before in the last few weeks, but we're going to hear it again. Luke 11, starting in verse 1. 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So as we jump into talking about temptation this morning, I want to say right off the bat, temptation is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. We know this because Jesus himself was tempted. In Matthew 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. In those two verses, we see a lot of instruction. Jesus was led up by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for the purpose of Jesus to be tempted. And we also see after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry because he was fasting, because Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was completely a man. He lived, he breathed, he ate, he drank, he slept, he got hungry, he got thirsty. All of those things are important to know that God was, Jesus was fully man. He had the ability to fall into temptation, though he didn't. And so we see that God himself, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus for the sole purpose of tempting, letting him be tempted by the devil. But if Jesus never sinned, if he lived a perfect, holy, sinless life, and Jesus was tempted, that means temptation is not a sin. We are all tempted every day, multiple times a day. We are tempted to lie, to cheat, to steal, to indulge whatever desire we have within us that rebels against God. Temptation is everywhere, but temptation is not the sin. It is when we act on the temptation, when we, then we cross that line into sin. Another quote I found, I didn't have an author for it. It says, it's easier to avoid temptation than to resist it. Meaning, don't put yourself into a situation that will be difficult for you if you can help it. If you struggle with alcohol and an addiction to alcohol, don't go hang out at a bar. If you struggle with gossip and you know being around certain people, you're going to let say things, and you're going to gossip and you're going to badmouth someone, don't be around those people. If you have struggles with lust and pornography, don't watch that R-rated movie that you know you're going to see nudity in. Don't put yourself into places where you know you are going to willingly be tempted. See, who you spend time with, where you go, what you watch, what you listen to, all of these things matter, and all of these things will affect and influence and direct you. 
So choose the people and places and the way you spend your time wisely. Are these things building you up? Are these things pointing you toward Jesus, helping you grow and become more and more like him? Or are they just a distraction to numb you? Are these things putting you in a place where it is easy for you to avoid temptation, or are they giving you the temptation and opportunity to sin? And I've said just about every week as we've walked through that this prayer is heavy and, and weighty and powerful, and at times can be scary. If we actually believe and actually believe what we are praying, this is a life-changing prayer. And it's also a prayer that has great depth to it. I've said this prayer thousands of times in my life. At one point in high school, I had to know it in Spanish. I kind of did. And yet, it wasn't until this week, in studying and getting ready for this morning, that I was struck by something in preparing for today. If God is holy, if God is good, why then do we have to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? If God is all the things that we've talked about him being, even just in this, in this prayer, if he is the good father who will take care of his kids, who knows what we need and will provide for, him good thing, provide for us good things, if he is the one to be adored and hallowed, if he is the one who will provide our daily bread, who will forgive us our sins, if he does all of those things, shouldn't it be assumed he won't lead us into temptation? So then why are we taught by Jesus to pray this prayer? Why do we have to ask God not to lead us into temptation? That's the question I want us to hold on to as we walk through this sermon this morning. The word temptation in the Bible can be also translated trial or testing. It's the exact same word, it's just a matter of context. And we know from Scripture that trials and testing are ways that God grows us in our faith. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 1 Peter 1, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you could flip through the Old Testament and pretty much stop almost anywhere and find a place where God is allowing people to walk through difficulties, trials, tests, in order to grow their faith. You look at the life of Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham, I will bless you with descendants as many as there are stars in the sky. I will give you land. You and your descendants will be a blessing to others. Just trust me and wait. I got you. And that time period of waiting as Abraham becomes an old man, that time period was his testing. And he fails because eventually he takes matters into his own hands and he has a child with one of his wife's servants. And then finally... When Abraham finally does get the promised son, Isaac, the promise that God made that he fulfilled, God then tells Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, go for a walk up a mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to give him back to me. And again, Abraham's faith is tested. 
Over and over, we see God allow testing, allow trials. The entire book of Job is that whole premise, right? Satan, is try- Satan goes to God and basically they make a deal where Satan is allowed to test, to push, to inflict all kinds of trials on Job to see if he will walk away from God. So if God uses tests and trials and temptation for our good, why does Jesus tell us to pray against these things? And on the flip side, if God is good and holy, as I said before, shouldn't it be assumed he's not going to lead us into temptation that will lead us to evil? That's why the delivering needs to happen, because we've fallen into temptation that leads us to evil we need to be delivered from. Because we also know from 1 Peter 5, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We know Satan is patient. We know he wants to do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy. We know that Satan is real and his desire to tempt us and destroy us is real. We know that temptation and trials have the ability to lead us into suffering that can lead us into evil, that can destroy us and everyone around us. When sin happens, sin is like a grenade that goes off. It doesn't only hurt the thing that it's blowing up, but the shrapnel that gets sent out in multiple directions. With all of the evil in the world, with all of the things we have to consider, with just being a human being, living and having relationships and living in this life, with all of the things that it takes to just exist, shouldn't we be able to say, at least I don't have to worry that God is going to lead me into temptation? I don't have to worry about God leading me into a situation that might allow me to end up in the midst of evil, right? Jesus tells us to pray, God, don't lead me into temptation. Why? This whole prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it's about acknowledging God's power. It's about acknowledging God's authority and God's goodness. And our need in response to that to be humble and trust him. Our Father in heaven, You have authority and power and safety and protection in you being our Father. Hallowed be your name. Your name is above every name. Your name is to be praised and worshipped and adored. It is the very bedrock of which the Christian life is to be built on, is the adoration of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your way is better than my way. Your kingdom is better than my kingdom. Your will is better than my will. And we want it here. We want to submit to your kingship, to your leadership, to your holiness, to your reign and rule in all aspects of our lives. Give us this day our daily bread. God, all things come from you. All things belong to you. We need you. God, we need you to provide for us the things to just get us through today. And when tomorrow comes, we need you to do it again. Forgive us our sins. God, we have put ourselves in debt to sin. We are under the wrath toward sin. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we have put our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgive us our sins so that we might move forward. God, on a daily basis, we confess to you that we have sinned against you, that we have rebelled against you, and we ask that you would forgive us our sins. Lord, forgive us. We need you because on our own we are stuck 
and dead in our trespasses and sins. Do you hear the repetition? Do you hear the refrain throughout this prayer of God's awesomeness and beauty and power and adoration rightly deserved and our dependence upon him, our need for him? It is the humility to say, God, I am not the greatest, smartest, fastest, bestest. You are. To pray, lead me not into temptation, lead us not into temptation, is to say, God, I need you to keep me away from temptation. Because God, on my own, I'm a mess. I am weak, and I got nothing to give. On my own, I fall short of the glory of God. On my own, I will sin against you. God, don't let me go into temptation because I know what I'm capable of. This prayer is a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of understanding who we are in light of who God is, and it's an understanding of our own weaknesses an understanding of the areas where we fall short, an acknowledgement that we have sins in our lives that, as Hebrews says, so easily entangles us, that we need help avoiding those things. So we pray, God, don't even let me go near temptation because I don't want to fall. I know me enough and I know how weak I am on my own. Consider the inverse of this prayer. If this prayer is, lead me not into temptation, it's an acknowledgement of our weakness, our acknowledgement of our need for God's leading us toward righteousness. The flip side would be like Peter at the Last Supper. When the supper was ended, Jesus stands up and he tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows this morning. And Peter, full of gusto and energy, he says, though they all fall away because of you, all meaning the other disciples. Though they may all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And then he even doubles down and he says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Jesus. Jesus, I am with you to the end. I would never forsake you. Peter, standing on his own power, on his own belief that he was different, that he was able to withstand the temptation, he could do it all himself. Lord, even if I'm faced with death, I would never forsake you. He doesn't even come close to tasting death that weekend. The most serious thing that happens to him is a 12-year-old servant girl that nobody knows asks him about his accent, and he rains down curses to tell him, I'm not with that Jesus. See, the opposite of lead us not into temptation is Peter standing and saying, I got this. Go ahead and bring on the temptation. Bring on this opportunity and I will stand firm on my own. It's pride, it's ego, it's arrogance and self-righteousness that thinks I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody. Look how great I am. Look how mature I am in my faith. How much I can do, how much I know. When in actuality, if you've already gotten this far in this prayer, in praying these things and actually believing them, you have already acknowledged like four different times your need and dependence on God. Even the very front of this phrasing, lead me not into temptation, lead me, implies that we're following. It implies that we have put ourselves into a place that says, Jesus, I don't know where I'm going. You seem to know where you're going. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you because you know the way. Because he is the way and the truth and the life. He is the only way to the Father. 
So that even in itself is implied submission to Jesus and his knowledge and power and protection. And so we pray this prayer because we realize that without Jesus, we're lost and wandering around in the darkness. And you might say, okay, yeah, all right, I'll admit that I'm weak. I'll give it to you. But we have already talked about, we mentioned how sometimes trials and tribulations, those things can produce character. Those things can produce hope. Those things can produce strength. So why not bring on the trials and temptations? If I admit that I'm weak, sure, I I need to follow Jesus. That makes sense. But so then let's go get some of those temptations so that I can grow and be stronger. And that might seem like the right way to think about it, but there is a much wiser prayer to pray, and it's lead me not into temptation. Instead of us needing to be the person who's told, hey, the stove is hot, don't touch the stove, but then you still walk up and touch the stove, just trust the words that are given to you, just trust the instruction, just trust that God knows best. There's a better way following him. God can and will use whatever he needs to to grow us, to shape us, to change and challenge us. Amen. God doesn't just, God loves us where we are, but he loves us so much he won't let us stay where we are. He wants to see us grow and mature. But why would we willingly invite on ourselves pain and suffering if we don't need to? Even Jesus in the garden. He's on his knees, sweating drops of blood, anguishing over what's to come, because he knows what's coming. God, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. If there's any other way we can do this, let's do it that way. Take this from me. He didn't want to go into it, but he willingly submitted to the Father. But he asked, can I avoid this? When it was clear he couldn't, he said, all right, I will willingly go and die on the cross for their sins in their place. Praying lead us not into temptation is heading off at the pass. It's cutting off even the potential for us to fall into a temptation that leads to sin and evil. Because we oftentimes will put ourselves into positions where we are tempted And if we do that enough, if we put ourselves into those scary positions enough times, eventually we will fall into temptation. We will give in to evil. As I said before, Satan is crafty. And he's patient. And he's paying attention. And he'll wait. And so usually what happens is somebody comes to faith or gets renewed in their faith and they're full of excitement and and dedicated and they're in the word and they're in prayer they're starting to see the the areas of their lives where we need some help they need some growth they need there's some sins there's some struggles there's some addictions that need to be let go of and and so we're walking in those and you start battling those temptations you start battling fighting off sin start battling addiction putting putting the word in your heart starting to clean out that gunk that has been in there and you're seeing some victories and we're building up our spiritual muscles we're building up our spiritual strength And we start believing, and all of a sudden we start convincing ourselves, look how mature I am, look how far I've gotten, look how much I've grown. Amen, you've come far. But amen, you've come far, not on your own. God brought you far. We tend to think, look how far I've gotten. And that way of thinking then leads us into, I can handle one drink. 
I can watch that movie. I can be around those people. I can be in this situation because I am strong enough. I have enough self-control. I have enough strength on my own. There's an old saying, and it's an old saying for a reason. If you play with fire long enough, you're going to get burned. Satan will pounce. Usually when you let your guard down, when you're convinced that you're strong enough, that you're smart enough, that you have this down, you think you're okay, you think you are safe, that's when Satan's going to pounce. Christians, we don't get to take days off. That's not how this works. There's no taking days off against the temptation, against Satan, because he's not taking any off. So rather than playing with fire at all, we pray and say, Lord, don't let me go anywhere near it so that I might not fall into temptation and evil. Now look, can God use all things for his purpose and plan? Amen. Of course he can. Does he use trials and tribulations? Yes, we've already seen it. But what if? What if we were humble enough What if we were hungry and thirsty for God enough to say, God, how about you just show me? How about you just show me and reveal to me those areas where I am weak? Show me and reveal to me where I need to grow, where I need help. God, show me those places, reveal those places to me, and then do the work in me to strengthen me. That sounds a little too introspective for most people. Because let's be honest, nobody likes hearing about their own weaknesses. Nobody wants to be told where they lack. We don't want to sit and acknowledge that we aren't the best. No, we'd rather keep pushing forward. We'd rather keep comparing ourselves to people. Only when we compare ourselves to people, we compare ourselves to the person who we believe is less than us comes out in things like, at least I'm not that bad. At least I got my stuff together. At least I'm not them. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Maybe instead of comparing ourselves to others, instead of trying to earn points on a spiritual scorecard for a game that nobody else is playing, let's remember what it actually means to be a Christian. Because the very baseline of being a Christian, the very fundamentals of it is, I admit my need for a Savior. It's an admission that I can't do this on my own. I am not strong enough, fast enough, smart enough, good enough on my own. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. I am condemned to hell without Christ. It's an admission of need. 
And if we would just keep our minds focused on that, if we would truly rediscover the gospel on a daily basis, truly remind ourselves and dwell in and be led by the fact that God himself loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us, that Jesus came and lived a perfect spiritual, perfect sinless, spotless life so that he went to the cross and died for us in our place. God saved us from the wrath of God towards sin. He saved us from hell. He saved us to be a blessing to others. He saved us when we were unlovable, when we were undeserving, when we had nothing to offer, way before we even had the chance to offer anything. God saved us. And if we would let that drive us, if that would be the thing that is on our brains, on the tip of our tongues, driving us, motivating us day by day, how different would our lives be? And how much would that keep us humble? keep ourselves focused on him when we realize just how much in need we are to God. How different things would be instead of regularly being distracted by everything else around us. Think about the Israelites in the Old Testament. The Israelites get led out of Egypt. And even in getting led out of Egypt, God rains down plague after plague in Egypt so that Pharaoh would soften his heart to let God's people go. They literally cross the Red Sea on dry land. They walk between two walls of water. They are led by a pillar of fire. God's very physical presence, as much as he could be there for them physically, he manifested himself in fire and clouds. They saw him. They could see and say, God is with us. He rained down bread. He made an entire new kind of bread for them to eat, and he rained it down for them day after day. He provided for them. Over and over, he shows them, I am with you. I am for you. I am good. You can trust me. And finally, they get to Canaan. They get to the edge of the promised land, and God tells them, look, this is yours. I have set this aside for you. This is your land. Trust me, if you go in, they who are in the land right now will fall to you, because I am with you. And the Israelites send spies into the land, and what happens? They come back, and we read in Numbers chapter 13, one of the spies says, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Their cities are fortified and very large. They get scared and they decide not to go. And so they're stuck in the wilderness. As a consequence to their disobedience to God, they are stuck in the wilderness day after day, year after year, decade after decade, until that unfaithful generation dies off because they wouldn't trust God. Because they wouldn't trust that he knew what was best for them. Because they wouldn't trust what they had already experienced about who he was. They wouldn't trust that he was going to do it one more time. If they would have just obeyed, if they would have just trusted and gone in when he told them to, they wouldn't have lost a generation of their ancestors to the desert wilderness. And when they finally do get to the promised land, when they make their big circle and they get back to this moment, and they go into Canaan and it goes exactly how God told them it was going to go, if they would have just then stayed content in that moment, if they would have stayed content to be in the land God promised for them with God as their king, the creator of all existence, be their king, the one who led them and provided for them and protected them. Who better, what better king could you have than the creator and sustainer of all creation? But no, they wanted a king. They wanted a tangible king. They wanted somebody. And so they get a tall, good-looking, rich guy 
to run their lives for them, knowing full well, God says, look, if you get a king, it's going to end poorly for you. They get a king, and Saul runs them into the ground. What if they would have just looked at what God had done over and over again? How different things would have gone for them. And it's easy for us today to sit here and say that, right? To read scripture and say, Israelites, what were you doing? Get it together, guys. But then we stop and think about our own lives. We think about the times in our life, in the areas of our life, where, as Robert Frost would say, two roads diverged in a wood. You had a choice between one or the other. You knew what God was leading you into. You knew what was right. You knew what was wrong. You knew what was best versus good enough. You knew the way you should go, but instead you wanted to go the way you wanted to go. And I'm sure each of us have those areas, have those places, those moments where we had a choice to make. And we can go back there in our mind and think, man, if I had that to do over again, what could have been? Here's a beautiful thing about what could have been moments. God uses those. He uses those moments to still teach us, to still train us, to still cultivate us and make us into something new. God doesn't waste time. His or ours. Even when we choose rebellion, even when we are tempted and we give in and we pursue evil and we choose temptation and evil, God can use that to shape and form and call us back to himself. We don't need to live with regret. We don't need to live in the past looking back and saying, oh, I wish I could have gone back and changed this. God used it. God brought you to where you are. You are where you are, who you are, in the world that you will live, in the circle of people that you have, living in the place that you are, working at the place that you are, going to school in the place that you are, because God is in control and he puts you there for a purpose. You're right here, right now, because God has you right here, right now. What about the next one? What about that next opportunity? What about what's coming? See, that's why we need this prayer. That's why we need to regularly be in a season and rhythm of prayer to keep us humble, to keep us grounded and focused and fixated on the God who is good and trustworthy and awesome and holy and pure and loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. The God who wants what is best for us. He reveals himself in his word. He has given us his word so that we can engage with him and know him deeper and then engage with him through prayer so that he can speak to us and we can speak to him. We pray this prayer, lead me not into temptation, to remind us of our need for God, our need for him so that we are not on our own. To remind us that on our own, we are going to wander into the darkness. To remind us that on our own, we are the sheep. We're going to wander off, and if we're not careful, we're going to fall off a cliff. But we have a good shepherd who will lead us beside still waters, who will lead us, and even when, he, when we don't want to lie down, he will make us lie down in green pastures and give us rest. As most of you guys know, I'm going, getting ready to go on sabbatical soon. 
and I was talking to one of my mentors this week for some advice on, on how to make the most of this time, how to be really intentional to, to grow and, and learn and just be refreshed in this season. We talked about a bunch of things, and he had some ideas about some of the plans I have and some books to read, and we just kind of talked for a while. But then ultimately, he said, you know what, more than anything else, he said, just read your Bible. Just, just take in Scripture. Whatever that looks like, however that happens, take in Scripture. Because what better nourishment is there? What better teaching? What better instruction? What better guidance? What better refreshing is there than to hear from the voice of God? That's what David says in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Brothers and sisters, when we keep our eyes, when we keep our hearts and minds, when we keep ourselves focused on God, when we are engaging with Him in His Word, and engaging with Him regularly in prayer, as the controversial Dr. Seuss would say, oh, the places we will go. John says in his letter, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That is a bold reason to write a letter. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you have sinned, you have an advocate with the Father. We pray and we ask, Lord, let us avoid temptation altogether. Staying in line with the will and leading of God is a good way for that to happen. But in reality, if we, the reality is we are going to find ourselves in the midst of temptation. It's going to happen because every day, every moment by moment, we are being tempted in some form or fashion, combined with our own sinful desires to pursue the gratification of our flesh rather than God. So if you do find yourself in temptation, if you do find yourself pursuing wickedness, you have not only an advocate, but the deliverer from evil. Jesus Christ who delivered us from evil by going to the cross on our behalf. Paul says in Romans 6, if we have put our faith in Jesus and his life, death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, then we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer controlled by it. We have been set free. We have the ability and opportunity to live into the new life that Jesus purchased for us at the cross. When Jesus speaks with the woman who is caught in adultery and everybody else leaves, the last thing he says to her is, go and sin no more. That's a bold thing for him to say, but he can say that because he has forgiven sins and he has freed that woman. He has freed you and I from the ability for sin to control us, to trap us. No, we have new life. And not only do we have new life, but it's a life where we are no longer alone, but we are in relationship, right relationship with God. We have with us and for us the good Father who has a name above every name and whose kingdom and will is higher and better and who has such a great love for us that he would send his son to die for us. He is the provider who knows what we need and will give us and provide what we need if we go looking for him. He is the one and only one who can forgive sins 
and give us a new right, right relationship with him so that we might not spend eternity in hell separated from our God, but with him forever and ever. He's trustworthy, he's good, and we can follow him knowing full well he's not going to put us in harm's way. But when we put ourselves in harm's way, he will deliver us, he will rescue us, he will save us. This prayer, the Lord's Prayer, this thing that for so many of us, we can just regurgitate without thinking about it. This is a prayer of massive importance and massive value. And I pray that we might be humble enough and bold enough to pray it and to mean it and then to actually go and live like it. Let's pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. God, you know us. You know the, ha- the hairs on our heads. You know when we stand. You know when we sit. There's nowhere we can go to run from you. There's no height. There's no depth. You know us. And so you know just how dependent we are on you. How much we need you. How for those of us who are Christians, how we, how lost we would be without you. How stuck we would be without you. You've set us free. You've given us new life. You've unstuck us. But that doesn't mean everything's perfect. God, we still have these areas, these places in our lives where we fall, where we sin, where we put ourselves into temptation, where we give in to the wickedness. God, help us to avoid it. Help us to live in light of the gospel. Live in light of the sacrifice that was made. Live in light of the reality of what you did to free us from sin. Let us live like that matters. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Let us just be focused and walk with you. As David would say, as he would talk about the word, as he would talk about how Your word is sweeter than honey. Now, first thing in the morning and last thing at the evening, it was your word, it was you who was on his mind, who was on his tongue. God, give us that hunger and thirst for you. Let us be so caught up and so captivated by you that we might walk in your will, so we might come to know you deeper and deeper and then live like we know you deeper and deeper. Lord, keep us from temptation. Keep us from those areas. God, keep us humble enough to say, God, show me where I am weak. Show me where I need your leading and then lead us and give us the humility and the boldness and the courage to take those steps. God, without you, we are lost. We are in desperate need. Remind us 
You're good and you're awesome and you're holy and you're beautiful and wonderful. Where else are we going to find the words of life? Where else are we going to find hope? Where else are we going to find joy? Where else are we going to find anything good, anything pure? It comes from you, God. Let us not lead astray. Let us not walk astray. God, let us not wander into the darkness because there's nothing there for us. God, that we might know you better. We be reminded and, and not need those trips to the desert, those trips to the wilderness. You have given us your word. You have revealed yourself to us. You continue to. How we're tired of doing it our way. Lord, let us do it your way. Lead us not to temptation. And God, in those days, in those moments, those times where we find ourselves in the darkness, wandering, deliver us. Save us. God, if there's anyone who hears this and doesn't know you, who hasn't put their faith in you, who hasn't accepted the free gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness that is found by putting their faith in Jesus, I pray that right now in this moment you are breaking down those walls, that you are breaking down those barriers and you are doing a work in them so that they might come to know you, so that they might for the first time step into the light of knowing you. God, as we go into the world, you have made us to be the lights of the world. We can't be wandering in darkness and be a light of the world. So God, help us to fix our eyes on you. And be that light so that we, others might come to know the saving grace that you have provided. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we pray all of this because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. We're going to take a communion now. Um, one moment online. It's not prepared. We're going to take communion now. There should be a communion cup on your seat if you're with us. Uh, if you're at home, you can grab whatever you need to grab. If you want some communion resources, we have them. Uh, get a hold of us, let us know, we can make them available to you, or you can just come and, and get them yourself. We'd love to see you. Um, we take communion every week because it is this tangible gift, this tangible reminder, this reminder that God is good and for us. God knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows the way we are, and he knows that we need these things. He knew that we needed communion. He knew that we needed this tangible reminder to remind us in the darkness, in the brokenness, in the hard, in the exhaustion. We needed this reminder to say, God is good. I don't know how work's going to go. I don't know how things with my family, with the relationships are going to go. I, everything is topsy-turvy, and I'm just kind of existing right now. But what I do know, what I can rest in and dwell on is the goodness of God. And that's what communion does for us. It reminds us of the goodness of God proven to us through Jesus at the cross. When Jesus died for us and his body was broken for us. That's what the bread represents. So let's eat together and remember the goodness of God. It wasn't just his body that was broken. It was his blood that was shed. 
because we are perpetually surrounded by temptation. Because Satan is constantly trying to destroy, to steal, and to kill. And he will manipulate and he will do whatever he has to do to try and lead us astray. And sin breaks our relationship with God. It has broken our relationship with God. And God knew that, and so he sent his son to die for us, to restore that relationship that had been broken. To restore that relationship so that we can have right standing with God, so that it's not about us, it's not about how impressive we are, it's not about who we know or what we've done. It's about only the pure, holy righteousness of Jesus, that we can stand before God, forgiven, invited into the family of God as his sons and daughters. So we drink together and we remember that God made a way for us to know him and be accepted into his family. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and this chance to worship and celebrate and adore you. We thank you for sending your son to die for us. Jesus, we thank you for going to the cross, knowing full well what was coming and all of all of everything that was going to be involved in that and still willingly going to die for us. We thank you that we were the joy set before you as the reason you endured the cross. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for raising Jesus from the dead, for being that final stamp of acceptance on the sacrifice of Jesus. God, as we go into the world, as we engage with our families and friends and work and school and all these different things, let this little bit of bread, this little bit of juice nourish and fill us up so that we might be the lights of the world we've been made to be. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Um, We're all going to sing some more and we also have uh, an offering plate in the back for those of you who are here and you'd like to give. CF is supported by the giving of its members and attenders so um, there's an offering plate in the back. If you want to do it online, churchinroscovillage.org slash give. You can also do that as well. Uh, Please stand as we continue to sing.
Thank you, everybody, for worshiping with us. You can have a seat for a second um, as, we, as we wrap up here this morning. Uh, one of the things that we love and, and pursue being as a church is a lighthouse. We say we are a lighthouse in uh, Roscoe Village, Chicago, and the world. And we talk about how the lighthouse um, shines the light of the gospel, how we shine a light and let people know this is a safe place where they can find rest. And we talk about how we are a place of rest for people, where we are a place where you can come and just experience the love and grace of God. And we also send people out because people don't live, typically live at the lighthouse for a long period of time. They come, they get some rest, and they go. And so today is one of those days where we are doing some sending out. Uh, we have a, a couple in our church who are members of our church who are, this is our last Sunday with us, and they're going to be leaving us to uh, head back home, actually, uh, and so, Andrew and Julia, you guys want to come on up? Um, Andrew and Julia are uh, two of our members who um, 
have been faithful to serve and love our church. As I thanked community group leaders this morning, uh, it was they are some of those community group leaders who had to flip and flop between online and in-person and online and in-person and snow and back and forth and all those kind of things. And so, um, it, uh, and so we are uh, sad to see you go, but uh, knowing that God uh, is leading you, that he has made it abundantly clear that it's time for you guys to go and go home uh, is, is just, it's cool. It's cool to see how God has just made it very clear. And uh, just thank you very much for loving and serving our church. Uh, we love you very much. We will miss you. Um, we're not going anywhere, so anytime you're back here, if you want to taste those delightful Chicago winters, come on back. Um, and uh, just we're just excited for you to see what God's going to do. So uh, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray for Andrew Julia, and we're going to close out our service with prayer. So please uh, join me in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you and, and love you, and we appreciate um, how you have, uh, how you bring people into community, even for just periods of time. And Lord, we thank you for Andrew and Julia and for their heart, for this church, for their willingness to jump in and be part of this community, um, for their openness and for their willingness to share their lives and to lead uh, at times, Lord. Um, God, we thank you for the way that you have uh, protected them, provided for them, and made yourself abundantly clear at, at times and places where it's sometimes hard to know what you're doing and, and see your plan. You have made yourself abundantly clear to them that it's time for them to head back home, to be near family, to start a new chapter in their lives. God, we thank you for the time that we've had with them, uh, and we are looking forward to seeing what you're going to do as you send them.